American dream has become a nightmare. Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. Like a cancer that's silently spreading, there's an unspoken fear. We're on our way down. We must take America back. Main Street to Wall Street, cities and states, Washington D.C. Before it's too late, there's not long. We need leaders who lead us, not stick us and bleed us, then ransom our future and our children's. That's wrong. Oh my goodness, I love that song. Can't help myself because nothing probably hits it right square between the eyes much better than it does that song. And folks, here we are back with uh, on Republic Broadcasting Network with the Rebel and the Renegade Roundtable. And uh, our buddy uh, David Scorpio sent me a text and said he's going to be late. And uh, so uh, hopefully he'll uh, chime in here before too much longer. But uh, anyway, uh, folks, uh, support RBN. Uh, We need to keep supporting uh, free speech as long as we possibly can, because as we have just covered, the government can shut it down and will at their pleasure, not yours. So, uh, Stephen, uh, you want to kind of draw a synopsis of uh, what we've uh, been over so far, please, sir? Well, they free speech was an illusion. It was uh destroyed by that uh, court decision back with the Alien Sedition Act, basically. So, you know, they could put, they have power. They can do whatever they want. And, and, and this was not about slavery. You know, people to this day, they will think, oh, the Civil War was about slavery. You know, it was all about power. And it wasn't North versus South so much as it was the powerful just coming and taking it all, <laughs> Collecting the tariff is what it's called, but and they they burned Georgia down. You know they raped the 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 whole land, the whole South, and it was like it it, it is more obvious to me that it was the first Bolshevik revolution uh, instead of a civil war. The more we study it, the more we go over it, and I say how it repeats itself over and over again. You know, uh, it just I don't know. I I won't toss it back to you because I learn more from you than than I do talking. <laughs> I'll put well, it that way. <laughs> Stephen, the one thing that I think we should do is it should be a name a change from the war between the states to between the war between the government and the states. Because in essence that what it's that's what it was and for people who are unaware the first 3 states that Lincoln militarily invaded didn't secede. They were the border states of Maryland, Kentucky and Missouri. He militarily invaded those states before the first battle was fought at First Manassas. Militarily went in, arrested many times the members of the legislature, and put them in prison without a trial, without a charge, without anything. And then when the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Roger Taney, objected, he threatened to arrest him. And he actually had issued an arrest warrant for the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, but the U.S. Marshal Service refused to actually 
arrest him and charge him. So, but after the failed socialist revolutions, and this is critical, folks, this is takes us right back up in today's world. Those socialist revolutions of 1848, which encompassed most of the European continent, many German, English, Hungarian, Bavarian, atheistic socialists flocked to the United States because they had been banned for their homelands for treason. So they came to America to participate in treason. But ironically, just about all of them wound up in the north for a number of factors, including an already strong progressive movement, which had been brought on in the churches of the north by those we call the Transcendentalists and the Unitarians. And they were ardent supporters of the Republican Party. During the first GOP convention, one of the main objectives of these 48ers was to assure that, and I quote, Puritans and native-born Americans would not control their party. The Germans, being the largest of the immigrant groups, contributed the greatest to Lincoln's election. Frederick Engels, Marx's brother-in-arms, pointed out, and I quote, had it not been for the experienced soldiers who had entered America after the European Revolution, especially from Germany, the organization of the Union Army would have taken still longer than it did, unquote. Well, the first republic... Go ahead, Stephen. I'm reminded of all those military-age males that are coming through those welded open gates right now from our southern border. It just, you know, the echoes down through today just keep hammering in my head. <laughs> well, big time. I, uh, you know, I certainly, you won't find any opposition on this, on this port. But the first GOP convention included 19 German American delegates. Most of them were 48ers, some of whom were personal friends of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. In fact, the GOP platform included protection of voting rights for foreign-born citizens and promotion of the Homestead Act. Lincoln's favorite uh, election uh, mantra was, vote yourself a farm. Now, these were all initiated under the nickname of the Dutch planks of the Republican Party. Lincoln valued the German vote so much that he even secretly purchased, as I mentioned earlier, the German newspaper, the Illinois Staatsanzeiger, before his election. In fact, just about every, if not all, of the German communist participants were at some point journalists for German newspapers in the U.S. It was the default vocation for exiled socialists, and the media in America is still, to this day, their playground. A couple well, of the more. Go ahead. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It goes even farther back. You know, most people are familiar with the Frankfurt School and all that that came oh, over, yeah. you know, uh, right before World War II and all those commies, but it, it goes way back before that. <laughs> you know, that just, please continue, though. Oh, for sure, buddy. No problem. You chime in anytime you feel the urge. Uh, that, that's not an issue for me. But a couple of the more influential German 48ers. In other words, the Marxist revolutionaries in the GOP, they were actually members of the party now, folks. The GOP had communists, well, 
the communists founded the GOP. But anyway, let's get to some of them. There was Carl Schurz, who was a GOP delegate, a Lincoln supporter, a minister to Spain in Lincoln's administration. He was also brought back and was made a general in the Union Army. He was secretary of the interior under Hayes. He was a senator from Missouri, a journalist, and a president of the National Civil Service Reform League, a position he used to disenfranchise Native Americans or American Indians, just as he had the South. Fran Siegel served as a general in the Union Army and became the superintendent of the St. Louis public school system. Imagine that. It is well worth mentioning that the uniforms of the 3rd Regiment of Missouri under Mr. Siegel's command had been customized to resemble the socialist revolutionary uniforms worn in Germany in 1849. Imagine that. Friedrich Karl Franz Hector, who led the German Revolution, was a key player in obtaining the German vote for Lincoln. He also led a German regiment in the war. August Willich, a personal friend of Karl Marx. Karl Marx described him as a communist at heart. He recruited more than 1,500 German soldiers and became a Union general. Louis Blinker was a general of the 8th New York Infantry and gained a reputation in Northern Virginia as a looter from the way in which he commanded his men to steal anything they could from the civilian population. Edward Solomon, I wonder what his nationality was, and two of his three brothers became generals. The fourth was a sergeant in the Union Army. He himself would later become the governor of Wisconsin. Another Edward Solomon, unrelated, who was a bit younger to be a 40, was a bit young to be a 48er, Yet he was still a confirmed Marxist. He became a general under Ulysses Grant and was awarded the appointment of governor of the Washington Territory when Grant became president. Friedrich Kopp, K-A-P-P, a newspaper man after the German Revolution, was an elector for the GOP and became the commissary of immigration in 1867. Fritzen and Mathilde Annika were influential German revolutionaries who were also friends with Karl Marx and supported the Union effort under Lincoln through speeches and journalism. Matilda went on to be one of the original radical feminists in the United States. Karl Heitzman was also a journalist and became an advocate of terrorism against the South by attacking civilians and women and children. An idea, unfortunately, which was implemented from the very beginning of the war. It didn't just happen with Sherman in Atlanta, marching through Atlanta. It happened well before that. It happened at the very beginning, especially in Missouri and the border states, other border states. Joseph Wiedemeyer was a close associate of Karl Marx and the Annikas and Willich, and he started the first Marxist organization in the U.S., the Proletarian League of New York, and, st and starting two socialist newspapers, which, of course, favored Abraham Lincoln. Peter Joseph Osterhaus became a post-war military governor in Vicksburg after serving under General Sherman. Max Weber migrated to New York from Germany to become a general in the Union Army, an IRD agent, which is the modern-day IRS, 
and he was finally appointed as the U.S. Consul to Naples. When we turn our attention to the non-German socialists, the connection between the Republican government and socialism becomes even more clear. It is thought that Lincoln himself offered Giuseppe Garibaldi, the Italian leader of socialism, against the Pope, the position of commander-in-chief of all Union forces. Unfortunately, a position which Garibaldi declined upon Lincoln's refusal at that time to reframe the war as a war of anti-slavery. Two of the members of John Brown's gang were 48ers from Bavaria and Vienna. Frederick Hasserach from Vienna edited a German newspaper in Cincinnati. He campaigned for John Fremont, the first Republican candidate for president, and became a diplomat to Ecuador under Lincoln. Julius Stahl, S-T-A-U-L, a Hungarian revolutionary, became the U.S. consul to Japan and Shanghai after serving under Fremont in the Union Army as a general. Fremont's chief of staff was Alexander Asboth, also from Hungary. He went on to become a U.S. diplomat to Argentina. In fact, Fremont is so connected with socialism, judging from the men he surrounded himself with, that it leaves little doubt that John C. Fremont himself was a socialist. The commander of Fort Delaware, a notorious Union prison camp in which captured Confederates were tortured and killed, was a Hungarian revolutionary, Albin Francisco Schaff, S-C-H-O-E-P-H. Thomas Francis Mager was an influential Irishman who helped substantially in the raising and commanding New York's Irish Brigade. He was also a journalist, a lecturer, and let's not forget he was a convicted criminal, having been deported to Australia to the penal colony by Great Britain. Loez Brentano, another 48er, became a senator from Illinois and served as the U.S. ambassador to Dresden. Many of the early Republican socialist leaders weren't foreign at all. John C. Fremont was the first Republican presidential candidate. We mentioned him earlier. Senator John Sherman was General William Tecumseh Sherman's brother. General Sherman himself was on a list of approved communists. Imagine that. Charles A. Dana, who was, according to Lincoln, the eyes of his administration, was an assistant secretary of war and a very close friend of Karl Marx and Engels. Horace Greeley, a committed communist, hired Dana as an editor for his newspaper, the New York Tribune, and included Karl Marx as a communist who published over 500 essays during the so-called Civil War. If we broadened our margins to include Unitarian, Transcendentalist, and other Utopian humanist supporters of the Union, we would have a huge list of influential socialists. So, Stephen, chime in here, buddy. Well, it it echoes, like I say today, you look at how many uh, Jewish uh, American dual citizens are in the administration today and it just kind of seems like a parallel to these uh, German immigrants from 1848. The same thing over and over again. And the people that live in this country, you know, we always end up getting the short end of the stick. And, and, and they take our stuff, you know, uh, send us off to war. It's, why can't they just leave us alone? You know, that's what I want to know. I just, I'd rather just be left alone myself and 
and it gets frustrating. Go ahead, sir. Well, Stephen, what is the basic element of governments everywhere? They create a criminal class and a privileged class. That is their only function, as far as I can tell, sir. Well, uh, you know, what without one thing, without one certain thing, governments could never exist. What is that one thing a government must have to exist? Consent of the governed? No. Maybe? Power? What? Coercion. Coercion? Well, yeah. If they can't force the people through their laws, if they can't force the people to adhere to the government, they have zero power. So any government has to have within its basket of tricks or bucket of rocks, as our friend Blackbird Nine Mm -hmm. likes to say, within their bucket of rocks, they have to be able to coerce. Because if government came out and told you tomorrow, well, we're going to take, uh, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 to 40 percent of your paycheck this week. If the people said no, the government wouldn't exist. They have yeah. to have that power of coercion. Without the power of coercion, they're, they're, they're nothing. Yes, sir, that's best. That's exemplified by the fact that it was either 80 or 90 percent of their revenue came from the South. You know, yep. they exist because we pay them. They, we don't need them. They need us. If we stop supporting them, then they just wither and die. And maybe, you know, we could all happily ever after. I surely don't see any government solutions to human problems. That's for sure. No, and there never will be. But uh, let's jump back to old King Abe the first. And he made this statement, and I quote, The states have their status in the union, and they have no other legal status. If they break from this, they can only do so against the law and by revolution, unquote. At the very least, it should be repulsive to hear that Karl Marx and so many of his intimate associates and friends were named among the friends of Lincoln and the Republican Party. And it should call into question, by definition, just how Republican Abraham Lincoln was. However, we should also call into question the whole origin of the Republican Party. Are they truly conservative if they continue to look to Lincoln for inspiration? Don't they call it the party of Lincoln still? And didn't we have a candidate for president with orange hair back in 2016 who stated, I want to bring this country back to the principles of the great Abraham Lincoln? And yet you've still got people out there who claim they want to be free supporting this man? Are they truly conservative if they look back to Lincoln for inspiration? They were the second party, the Federalists to allow socialists to gain admittance into the U.S. government. And that started with Alexander Hamilton. But, uh, you know, and people will say, well, our Constitution is not a socialist. Oh, yes, it is. Any Constitution that provides for unlimited taxation of the people by the government for any reason they declare necessary and proper for any amount they want to take from you is socialist. There is no other way to address that. Go ahead, Stephen. Yes, sir, I agree. Good. And it went on from there. As you said, the U.S. government was, would later usher in the Democratic Party's progressive era. I mean, what was progressive was the more 
they took of our lives and our property, you know, just more and more. They call it progressive because they want us to feel good about being ripped off and enslaved. But it's not really progressive. Some things get better just because technology gets better. It's not because the government is helping us. I believe that it's just like Reagan that Red Ronnie said. One thing he did say is some of the most terrifying words out of anybody's mouth are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. That's just <laughs> that I, I yeah. don't. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, the transition that took place. Uh, you know, it wasn't really a transition because they didn't trade seats. What happened was is the Marxism of the Republican Party would eventually take over the Democrat Party. And as you said, Stephen, it was their progressive era of Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, LBJ, Obama, and now Biden. And there we have it, Hamilton to Lincoln and the catastrophe that we all now call government. And that uh, kind of uh, closes out my article there, uh, Stephen. Uh, would you like to give us a synopsis, please, sir? Well, you summed it up pretty pretty good right there, the government. I'm amazed people think that they're going to vote for somebody that's going to make it better. It's like you never get to vote for the puppeteer people, whether he's got orange hair or purple hair or whatever. It's the puppet master that matters, not whoever they put in front of you to entertain you, you know. I get into arguments with people, and I don't know what it is. They just cannot fathom a world where they're not voting for somebody. And don't you want to go out there and 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 vote your man in? And that's how you're going to change things. And like that never never works. If it made any difference, I don't think we'd be allowed to do it. Somebody said that once, and and I agree with it. And one thing, thank you. And one thing. Is that uh, we can get in trouble for telling people not to vote. (laughs) They might put us in jail because we say don't vote. That could be a crime one of these days. They'll put you in jail for anything and everything now. And and it's no surprise that this thing happened. And I hate to bring the orange-haired guy's name up again, but this judge, the judges are crazy now. The half a billion-dollar fine is it against Trump and half a million against Fetzer and, what, a trillion against Alex Jones? I mean, it's just ridiculous. It is a means, like a magic spell. They're programming us and mesmerizing us so that uh, we just keep along uh, and take your shots, you know, take your medicine. I think that something big is going to happen, though, soon, and they're going to want to bring in this digital currency, but... I've been thinking, you know, it only takes really one generation to stop reproducing, to wipe a whole people out. If you can just stop one generation, and they've just about done that to white people in the United States, native whites now, that they're not replacing themselves. We are being replaced by these people coming in from the South, and and, and they're ready for another reaping, if you, know, if you know what I mean, another Bolshevik revolution where they can come in and just take what they want and and, and sit up there and fiddle while Rome burns kind of thing. You know, I, um, I've seen this picture before. The Israelis sometimes will get out, and they used to anyway, and they would sit in lawn chairs and watch them bomb Gaza like it was some kind of freaking show. The same way I remember uh, it, it described that during the first Manassas, uh, they all brought picnic baskets out to watch the fighting. 
I mean, this, that, that kind of thing really disgusts me there, that, that people see it as entertainment, and people's lives are just being destroyed. Can't, can't we find a better way to live, y'all? You know, that's, that's kind of my opinion, sir. Well, it's all emotional, and Stephen, all of these fines, these fines against, uh, you know, Alex Jones, these fines against uh, Trump are not real. These aren't real. They, these are part of the propaganda, buddy. And it's it's not real at all. I promise you, it is part of the to uh, to build a. What's going on there, buddy? You okay? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, can if something happen? Can you, sounds, am I coming in okay? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I don't know what happened. Sorry. Did I, <laughs> sound like you were having a heart attack on me there, buddy? You can't do that. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well. Folks, uh, for the last half hour, we're going to take calls. But here's the thing I want to tell you. We're going to stay on subject. Uh, This is why we're here. We're going to talk about the subject. If you come up with some radical off-the-wall BS, you'll be cut off. But if you want to talk intelligently and not like some idiot last night who, because we were saying we were uh, telling people they shouldn't vote and giving them the reasons why, and, and some idiot comes on and says, well, you know, Gosh, uh, uh, you're telling white people not to vote so the blacks can vote. There was nothing said like that. Uh-uh. So if you can't, if you can't stay on subject, if you have some uh, an intelligent comment, or if you have some questions, we'll be happy to hear you. We'd love to hear you. But if you're com- going to come off with some radical BS, you're not going to be here long. Let me tell you that from the beginning. Your thoughts, Stephen? Yep. Well, I missed that, but uh, you know. Uh, we we end up with a puppet, and we can't vote for the puppet master. I just, you know, I'm not telling, quote, unquote, white people not to vote. Nobody should vote. Don't rubber stamp your slavery. Why? It's not going to make any difference to me, it seems, who they put in front of us. I uh, just, you know, I'm reminded of that movie that, uh, what's this, Rodney Piper was in. They live. You know, uh, everybody is kind of mesmerized by hypnotized by the TV there. And this was in came out in the late 80s, I believe, or early 90. And and, and it was very telling uh, even then. And the society really is like that. It's the favorite few who are in those secret societies, kind of, that, that you were describing. They always have a nudge up and, and everybody else is just going along for the ride. And I get frustrated with it that more and more control is coming, you know. Cars are going to have cameras in them now by 2026. I saw this just recently. They have to mandate that the car is watching you. Uh, You can't drive a car without a camera to see if you're falling asleep in Europe by 2026. They don't want you to have a car. Well, they want us to have 15-minute cities and to be collared just like a dog, you know, with a little shock collar on, and a digital currency. Uh, you get so much of that every month, and you can spend it on only this and that and the other, and, and, and you cannot exchange it amongst yourselves. These people are crazy. They just want total control. And I sound, I always sounded like a nut when I told people things like this, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, but now they see that it's happening. I don't sound so crazy anymore. You don't? Well I, well, I don't think I do. I mean, at least at least I was accurate, okay? And I hope I'm wrong about what's coming next, but it looks like something big is in the works. They keep hitting at it, okay, and also doing other things that 
make me think that they know something big is coming, like selling all of the stock they have. Uh, so many people recently have sold their uh, Zuckerberg and you know all these big whales sold all of their shares off and gold. Uh, they bought gold. Un- it spiked, which is unusual for that to happen when the stock market's not going down. You know, one or the other or whatever. I think they know that. There's another thing as big, at least, as 9-11 that's coming. I was I, t- I talked about this yesterday on Thought Crime Live. They had this play, this this war game, where they were p- called Cyber Shockwave. I think they, something like that is coming where they say, well, we just have to have something that's total control. You know, you can't have a quota, a, a cell phone that's not tied to you kind of thing. You know, the, the, it... Um, one of the phrases I remember in that um, war game they were saying was that we don't have qu- the power to quarantine somebody's cell phone. You know, if somebody had smallpox and they were running around in, you know, the stadium, whatever, government would have the power to quarantine them, they were saying. Now, this is in 2010, too, that they were talking like this in their war game. But we don't have the qu- the power. The government doesn't have the authority. Let me put it that way. They had the power already, I think, but didn't have the authority to quarantine someone's cell phone. I, I hear the break coming up, but sorry. Well, that's all right. We'll be back on the flip side, folks, and uh, please support RBN. Was a solution, but it rose again. Wise men follow him, but it rose again. Wise men follow him. Thank God for the ready means. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 Carcass Drop and Lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation. But today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after exercise. It's amazing, and I ordered my second bottle. The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. So far, a great product is what it claims to be. Great product. A few days in, and I could feel a difference for certain. Not checking medical stats yet. I know this is really working by how I feel. We'll continue to take this product. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. 
That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with ExtendoVite. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pasture-raised meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork raised the way nature intended. Renegade Roundtable, and uh, we are uh, moving into our last half hour. And so, uh, let's see, uh, Stephen, are you ready to take on a few callers, buddy? Sure, man. I'm I, I'm always good for uh, a call in. <laughs> it's like you said, as long as uh, stay on topic and don't go crazy, I'm good. I, I like the way Blackbird Night puts it. If you're looking for a knife fight, we'd rather you just go down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, our good buddy, he he comes up with some great ones, doesn't he? And uh, uh, we just, uh, I tell you what, this this is just a subject I felt like we needed uh, to cover. And folks, I just would like to give a shout out to Mr. Chris Bolton, who is a sponsor uh, here on uh, 
Republic Broadcasting Network. He is the ease-off guy, and he thanks us for our show tonight, Stephen, to the tune of a donation to RBN. So, I, Thank you, Mr. Bolton. We appreciate you very much. It's, this is really where the war is being fought, sir. I mean, I know I get excited and I sound kind of all hillbilly-ish, but, uh, you know, I'll take this seriously. This is wh- very where much so. the future is going to be written right now. The, the very war much so. is in the minds of the young people, you know. Yes, sir. And, Stephen, I think you're like myself. We're fighting this war, not for ourselves, but for our posterity. Because I, I don't care about me anymore. You know, but I do care about my kids and my grandkids, and I care about them very much. But uh, let's uh, jump in here. I think we've got uh, our buddy James from Vancouver on line one. James, how you doing tonight, my friend? Well, um yeah, I'm doing pretty good, and uh, uh, truth be told, I like a good fight no matter what. But um, you're uh, you're absolutely right. I believe this whole Donald Trump thing and all of these <laughs> indictments are nothing more than to get people on his side. And uh, if the uh, deep state allows him to become president, they are going to say, well, yeah, we're going to let you be president this time. But on one condition, and that is you take the USA to war. Uh, back to you, gentlemen. Well, I agree totally with that. And, and you touched on the thing there, James, and that is very simply is that the people who are elected president are mere puppets. And they have been since yeah. George Washington. George Washington was Alexander Hamilton's puppet. And all you got to yeah. do is deal into the records uh, you know, the letters back and forth between Jefferson, Hamilton, and George Washington, uh, it becomes uh, clear in a very short period of time what's actually happening and the fact that Hamilton was running the government, not Washington. Well, the question then is, is what makes men do what they do? And um, I just wanted to finish off with one last point here. Uh, you mentioned yes, Horace Greeley months ago. Yes, sir. And I always yes, heard that name somewhere, and I knew that he's the one that said in 1865, go west, young man, go west. That, he said that, right? And yes, he, he did. Said, Have it, yeah. In light of the fact that the whole of the South was destroyed because Yankees wanted the land, well, you uh, young people go out west, get yourselves killed in Indian wars because we want that land, too. Back to you, gentlemen, for your comment. Oh, very accurate, very accurate statement there, James. And uh, Stephen, your thoughts? Yep. Yeah, that was well put. And I'm reminded of that first briefing the new president gets that you described where the JFK picture, the RFK picture, and the Martin Luther King picture are on the desk but never referred to. So, you know, (laughs) they – they got a rein on them. They got a leash on them. They have puppet strings and a leash. Oh, big time. You know, if you step Good. outside yeah. of our boundaries, uh, we'll give you yeah. a, a motorcade in Dallas. <laughs> All right. Good Good show, gentlemen. Thanks, Kenley. Bye now. Hey, James. Thanks thank you. Call. Thank you for the call, you buddy. Uh, and, uh, no problem. So, uh, now. now let's uh, jump to Tom in Utah. Tom, how are you, sir? Hi, um 
I've had a lot of experience with the boys in D.C., and I know they're pretty much puppets at the end of the string. And um, I'm kind of curious to know who you think was the real marionette or marionettes, plural, that uh, managed Lincoln. I mean, you've hit quite a few people, but is there any one individual or group that you can speak of that really did have him by the short early yeah uh, uh well i think it was uh in many ways you know lincoln you know he didn't care what he said i mean you know if you go back to the 18 what was that 1848 uh, or was that 1858 uh, well, ah, first day with my new brain but anyway uh when lincoln ran for senate you know against stephen a douglas and right. there are there are a lot of comments you can go back to uh and look at, he was the consummate politician, because when he was in giving speeches, when he was running for Senate, when he would give speeches in uh, northern Illinois, he was, oh, we've got to deal away with slavery. We've got to get rid of this. We've got to do whatever we can. We've got, he's a, he was a total abolitionist. But any time that uh, he and Douglas had a speech, had a program from central Illinois southward, he was totally, totally, totally for slavery. Oh, I'm not going to mess with it. Yeah, yeah, those uh, those black people, they should never marry whites. They should never do this. Mm -hmm. They should never be the equal of the white man. He was your consummate <laughs> politician. But back then, you know, we didn't have any way of keeping up with him, especially, you know, considering that the northern newspapers were, uh, as we have mentioned earlier, were pri primarily owned by the uh, socialists, the communists. So, you know, he, and then, you know, the fact, how many people know that Lincoln bought his own newspaper? <laughs> Very few. Uh, Tom, uh, any other questions or comments you might have, sir? Oh, he dropped, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, gosh, uh, hold on here, uh, Stephen. I think mm -hmm. we've got our old buddy Lark from Texas. Oh, up. howdy. Howdy, Lark. I, hey, Lark. How do, guys? Hey, how you I, doing, buddy? Well, I was afraid to call in. I didn't know if I was going to have anything worthwhile to say anyway. I usually don't, but what the hell? Uh, the only thing that can happen is someone bites my head off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope you're not uh, a I want I'll to try call. Not to, Lark, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to call first of all, but just two things. I wanted you to maybe address Henry Clay. Uh, when I was growing up, Henry Clay was called the Great Compromiser. Oh yeah, and uh, that was Lincoln's one of Lincoln's heroes. I take it. Oh, big time! And, uh, big time! And then the second thing, just to put it on the tables, uh, there's a, you know, that song by Oliver Anthony is called Rich Men North of Richmond. Yeah. And uh, if you put a question mark after that, the song title, Rich Men North of Richmond, and then you put Miles Mathis uh, in the search engine and read something about this guy, Oliver Anthony. That's not his real name. And uh, no. tell me if you think that this guy might have been sort of a manufactured creation that is reminiscent of some of the psyops that you saw at the NSA. 
Oh, I'm telling definitely. you, if you most you're definitely find Yeah, because here he is, he's talking about fat welfare mamas, and, uh, you know, he's talking about the rich men north of Richmond, like there's no rich men down here in Dallas or, you know, Corpus or yeah. Miami. You know, it's a, you know, and then uh, it's basically designed to divide people. And, of course, don't forget that song. I mean, and that artist came out of nowhere, and it was already, and all of a sudden, just huge, all over the internet. The guy became an instant celebrity. That well, that doesn't mm-hmm. happen in an entertainment industry that is hundred percent controlled by Jews. Because no, I've, I've researched that. Yeah, I've researched that stuff for years. You know. So, uh, anyway, what can you tell us about Henry Clay? All right. Well. One might find it hard to refute uh, that uh, Abraham Lincoln's political idol was Clay. Uh, Lincoln would say of Clay, and I quote, During my whole political life, I have loved and revered Henry Clay as a teacher and a leader, unquote. But Lincoln, as I stated before, guys, he delivered the eulogy at the funeral for Clay, And uh, when elected president, Lincoln set about implementing Henry Clay's political philosophies. And Henry Clay's political philosophies were uh, a carbon copy of Alexander Hamilton's political philosophies. And but throughout Henry Clay's political life, he was a strong believer in national socialism. And he was a complete racist in all references to the American Indian. Now, when Henry Clay was Secretary of State, Clay would declare, and I quote, listen, people, the Indians' disappearance from the human family will be no great loss to this world. I do not think of them as a race worth preserving, unquote. Well, as Secretary of State, let's stop and think about this. That mentality led to the forced walk of all Cherokees from the mountains of Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia to Oklahoma, the Trail of Tears, during the winter of 1838. Over 20,000 Cherokees were dragged from their homes, which were then plundered and burned. They were forced marched most of the way, barefooted to Oklahoma, during the dead of winter, and over 4,000 of the Cherokees died on that march, and it became known, as I said, the Trail of Tears. So there is, uh, you know, what, uh, is there anything more you'd like to know about Mr. Clay Lark? Well, I was just uh, reminded, I mean, that kind of comports with what I've read in the past and heard you talk about in the past. Uh, I'm sort of like a, a lot of folks. I didn't think, I didn't know anything about American history until I ran across the likes of you and, you know, a few others uh, along the way. But it reminds me of Andy Jackson. Andy Jackson if I recall, he particularly had a hatred for the Red Man, too. Is that correct? Oh, big time. Yeah, he was the one who was responsible for uh, moving all those Cherokees. It was under his direction that they were moved out of the, uh, you know, the areas, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, through that area, especially during the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina, which was their traditional home. Uh, yes, they were all forced out. And yeah, it was. This is the same type socialist philosophy, the same type. 
I mean, you know, allegedly we fought a war for people of color in 1860, but right after the Civil War is over, they go after the people of color out west called American Indians, and they want to annihilate them just like Henry Clay was about. And then how many people know that in the 1950s, in an effort to completely do away with the American Indian and their influence in America, Eisenhower had the women, many of the women, American Indian women, moved to big metropolitan areas where that the thought was that they would interbreed with others and they would eliminate the American Indian that way because their goal was to completely eliminate them. Now, during my uh, time that I lived on the Navajo reservation, I met several uh, Navajo ladies who had been a part of that. Some of them had moved to, been moved to Los Angeles. Others had been moved to Chicago. Others had been moved to Phoenix. People, this government, and don't blame it on white people. It's the government that does this. The government wants to eliminate any opposition that they can come to, especially people whose main philosophy is freedom. That's why they've gone, and that's why they're coming after whites right now. We're the American Indian of 1865. Mike, Your do you thoughts? remember uh, you remember Norman Thomas in American history? Uh, refresh, kick me in the brain there, uh, Lark. Uh, well, help me a, a little guy, bit there. He's a guy back in the 50s and 60s was always, he's kind of an also-ran. He was running for first oh, yeah. the Communist okay. Party USA for president and then an independent right. and a socialist party. Basically, he said... And he was pretty, you know, he was sort of like the Bernie Bernie Sanders, I guess, of his day. But he, <laughs> okay. he, he basically was saying that uh, Americans would not accept socialism. But if you just change the names and the, uh, you know, the titles, the handles of what it is, it's sort of like what Khrushchev said. You know, the Americans would buy it hook, line, and sinker. And I think that's what we're seeing today because Americans are woefully inadequate in terms of their even their understanding of american history oh well said yep. lark and uh uh steven you got some comments and then we've got another gentleman that's been waiting uh, on us for quite some time okay i was going to say we are about to drop into their uh hands like the ripe fruit that we are that khrushchev was that, that khrushchev said that i believe that we would drop like ripe fruit into their hands one day well and don't we forget are. Don't forget, he took off his shoe at the U.N. and pounded <laughs> the podium and said, we will bury you and never fire a shot. And and they have buried us in Marxism because both parties now represent Marxism. You know, you can say you can have Marxism heavy or Marxism light, but you still get mm -hmm. Marxism. So, Lark, thanks for, your call. thanks for your call. You betcha. Adios. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, buddy. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And... So uh, now let's uh, jump to Memphis in South Carolina. Memphis, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing this evening? Well, if I was any better, I'd be illegal in at least all the northern states. Well, uh, alcohol used to be illegal in all the states, and everybody enjoyed that. We're enjoying you as well. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um. I've been enjoying hearing about all the history and stuff and the assimilation of the Indians, which, I mean, I guess I would consider myself one of those people. I do have a bit of Indian blood in me. Um, yeah, I like to hear about all the history and stuff, but 
more 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 so I like to hear about the current events because I am a millennial, unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess. And yeah, I think it's messed up, and I know that you probably won't agree with me that all these senior citizens shouldn't be running in our government and that they just keep on taking all this money and they're millionaires when they're supposed to be making like $350,000 a year, but they have $10,000, I mean $10 million mansions and stuff like that and insane amounts of money in the bank. And, I mean, it's just crazy how things are getting shot out of the sky with lasers and people with blue houses live and they get to keep their stuff and everybody else gets burned off the face of the earth. It's, it's just crazy times, right? Well, uh, Memphis, there's one thing let's not forget. If it had been the Articles of Confederation, if we had not have had the Constitution, if we had stayed with the Articles of Confederation, there would have been no career politicians. Yeah, that, that's all we have anymore. And the bad thing about it is they can't even finish a sentence. The one we have right now is, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have very a whole lot of respect for my elders. I was raised by my grandparents, but... That guy is a bubbling fool, and if anybody thinks he's running anything, they're also a fool. Well, you can you can go back 20 years uh, with Biden. Go back and listen to his speeches 20 years ago. He still didn't make any sense. No, he was a horrible person back then when he had good sense. Um, his vice president, she's just as bad or worse than him. I think Obama's still running things, which... I mean, I guess it could be worse. At least Bush Sr. isn't in there, who was a CIA agent. And that was kind of crazy, having a spook for president, right? Somebody that was a Skull and Bones secret society member openly. That was our president yep. for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, Memphis, uh, thank you, buddy. We're about out of time. I've got one more caller. I want to try to get him in. Memphis, thank you so much for listening. Thank you thank as you well, for, sir. Thank yep. you for calling in. All right, thank you. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. All right, let's uh, jump to Mike in Kentucky. Mike, how are you this evening, sir? Have you read ever that the 14th Amendment was considered the New Deal or a New Deal? Yeah, but it was never ratified. Not properly, and several states uh, never, like, rescinded their ratification. I think Kentucky didn't actually re-ratify until 1976, and that has never been brought before the courts. Isn't that interesting? Well, then Seems the like, courts won't hear it. Because well, anytime, you, <clears throat> anytime you have a constitution that creates a Supreme Court that can decide what it wants to hear and what it doesn't want to hear, you don't have a, an honest government. Well, point being is, uh, <clears throat> you know, if anybody had the power to, to uh, expose this problem, it would be, uh, the Trumpeteers, they could they could have brought several parallel cases in different federal districts against the 14th Amendment, which, you know, um, based on him being uh, charged, which he never has been charged, with insurrection. So that's, well, you know, the, that's the... Well, my point... Insur- well, I'm sorry, yeah. Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, my point is this. Anytime, uh, you know, I'll vote again when we get a... Uh, candidate who says the first thing i'm going to do uh upon after taking my uh oath of office the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to uh by executive order or whatever i need to do i'm going to make sure that the 14th the 16th and the 17th amendments are repealed because they were never properly ratified now when you bring bring me a candidate like that i'll vote again okay 
Yeah, I suspect, though, that they would never make it into office one way or another. <laughs> no, no, that, that's not going to happen. Yeah, they, they made a mistake in 1960 with their crooked election, and they put JFK in with a crooked election because yeah. they thought JFK was going to be like his dad. And then, well, the, way unfortunately- Fesser, <clears throat> the way Jim Fesser describes that event in Dallas, it, it sounds like it was a firing squad. Uh, with the rhythm of a clock, you know, the first shooter was timing the rest of the shots, bang, yep. bang, bang, and we don't know how many shooters there were. So Jim Fester says he thinks there were eight. And just like a firing squad, nobody knew exactly who hit the guy. Well, I had, so. a, I had a very <clears throat> good source when I was at the No Such Agency. I had a very good source tell me that there was even a man with a... Uh, M16 in the uh, Secret sewer Service drain. car behind the president. Oh, well, there's one in the sewer drain too. Apparently shooting up, and that yes, might have been the headshot. Yes, and, and there's right. also one on the bridge. Also one Out that was time, on the bridge. Like. Yeah, overpass. Yeah. Sounds like we're out of time, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Uh, very close, guys. It close. certainly is. And Stephen, uh, tell the folks about your show real quickly, please. I have a show on RBN called Fault Crime Live every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. Y'all join me. We'll commit fault crimes together. I have different guests, different topics, uh, and sometimes it's just me. And uh, also, I'll be here on Sundays with Renegade and Rebel Roundtable with Mr. Mike Gaddy. I want to uh, uh, shill for your Substack too, Mike, because I learn a lot from it. It's michaelgaddy.substack.com. If you guys want to learn this history, subscribe. I learned more from Mike Substack than all the history books I ever got in high school. Well, thank you, Stephen. Uh, uh, your check's in the mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, again, let us ask you very passionately to do like Mr. Chris Bolton did earlier. Folks, support RBN and folks support ease off I mean if you if you're in that end and you need something he is a bona fide and his company of bona fide supporters here at RBN as is the Dixie Republic there you support go these people. I was, yes go ahead, sir, I was just gonna try I was just gonna mention the Dixie Republic the only way this show could have been any better is if we were sitting in Travis West South Carolina at a Confederate corner coffee shop doing it live but one day soon. <laughs> oh, very much so. And folks, we appreciate all you callers. All you callers were great tonight. We sure appreciate that. We enjoy that kind of caller and a discussion. And we enjoy answering those questions. Well, God bless everyone. It looks like the time is up for us here, Stephen. And uh, give Miss Wendy a hug for me, would you please? Yes, sir. I, I, thanks for having me. Y'all be good to each other. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com. 
and let them know that RBN sent you.